Hello and welcome to Sustainable Conversations episode. Welcome three. back to Sustainable Conversations. Hello and welcome to Sustainable Conversations. Hello everyone and welcome to Sustainable Conversations. Hello and welcome to Sustainable Conversations. Hello everyone and welcome to Sustainable Conversations. Sustainable Conversations episode. Eight. My name is Aiden Pasarczyk and this is my co-host Todd Pasarczyk. Hello everyone and welcome to Sustainable Hello, Conversations. Hello everyone. I'm Aiden Pasarczyk. I'm your host Aiden Pasarczyk. This is my co-host Todd Pasarczyk. Hey guys, it's Aiden Pasarczyk, your host, and welcome to Sustainable Conversations, episode 11. Hey everybody, it's Aiden Pasarczyk, and welcome to Sustainable Conversations. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a great show for you today. Enjoy. All right, guys, so we're back on Sustainable Conversations and talking about how much I get underpaid. <laughs> so uh, we're here with Todd Pasarczyk, Taylor Vilhauer. We have a special episode for you guys, two guests. We got this whole thing revamped so we could add another person yeah. in because, you know, the more the merrier. The reason you're underpaid is because you wanted all this fancy equipment for the studio here. Yeah, so, you know... I took money out of my personal budget <laughs> to help the company have better marketing. So thank you today. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about behavioral finance with these uh, these guys right here, and uh, this is actually our second take because they couldn't focus the first time. <laughs> so we're gonna third for me. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna try and uh, we're gonna try and do this professionally. Uh, I know both of these guys feel like they're on Joe Rogan. <laughs> just Taylor, but actually, you know, we're actually just a small firm located out of Vancouver, Washington. It's not really the same, uh, but I'm gonna do my best to imitate Rogan, and here we have our special guest. Uh, so, you know, maybe uh, we'll, I think there's probably better people you could imitate in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not if you want followers. <laughs> Today we'll be talking about behavioral finance, uh, and so my my first question to you guys is is why do you think having the right mindset when it comes to finance can be so challenging? It's a great question. I mean, I, I think money's so emotional, you know. So I think that oftentimes when we deal with money we deal with emotion and i think that whenever you're dealing with emotion it, it can be hard to make decisions like the right decisions based sure. on emotion yeah. and it, that i mean the market is that way if you look at the reason that the market is so volatile a lot of it's because of the emotion behind it hmm. you know i mean the, yeah it, it drives the prices of the market wildly it, i i think that it's just that emotional piece can make it really hard for us to make the right decisions. Also, wouldn't you say on a daily basis that there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason for the market going up and down, which is important for the average person to realize? Yeah. I think quite often you look, you know, we've recently had swings where the market's up, you know, multiple percentage points swings within an hour or two. And it's like, what changed? What information came out in the last 15 minutes that would dictate the market moving three to four percent in an you know it, it's it's just emotion so plus it's going to change anyways as people are taking money out of the market and putting it in um which really doesn't have anything to do with the actual market it's just for people taking money out distributions or yeah. people putting money yeah. in just people's conceptions of what the market looks like yeah, yeah. there's always going to be a little bit of a little bit of fluctuation naturally that doesn't have anything to do with the economy necessarily. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Elon Musk, maybe he pulled 
20 billion out for a new yacht. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's not because he's worried about the stock. He just needed, sure. needed yeah. a yacht. You know, <laughs> that's how it goes. Um, yeah. So I wanted to, I kind of wanted to look at some of these behavioral finance biases that I was doing some research on. Um, you know, we don't need to get too specific, but if you guys would, I would love to just get some kind of real world experience that you've had with clients that you've dealt with. So if you've seen this kind of bias, obviously you can't go into real examples, but like, tell me about kind of the general census you've had talking to people, um, you know, as they struggle. So the first one I wanted to talk to uh, talk about was the self attribution bias. So it's kind of, kind of saying that, Oh, if the if the market goes up, if my stock goes up, you know that was my skill. Like I just was, I was really skilled in handling that investment. Uh, but if it goes down, that's just bad luck. I couldn't do anything about that. It's kind of a self serving mindset towards finance. Where what have you experienced when it comes to that realm? Any kind of comments? Yeah, I mean that. <clears throat> I think that happens a lot. I think. I mean, I think about when I started in my career early on. Uh, it was, you know, I started in 1999 is when I was first licensed. And at that time, the tech market was booming, right? And and people were, I mean, I think that we had science and technology funds that were up over 100%. And that's, you know, a lot of day trading started happening. And I think that, you know... Everything was going up back then. I mean, you could have literally just thrown darts at a board and made money. But, you know, back then things were so good. And we had so many clients that were just thinking like, oh, why do I, you know, this is easy. Right. And and yeah, like it it really in reality, just everything was going up and everything was doing so well that it really had nothing to do with their own skill set. But, you know, it's easy to think, oh, look, look how great I am. Right. Yeah. When in reality, like. You know, anybody throwing darts at a board could have made money back then. Sure. Plus, don't you think it's easy to have good, while we're on the topic of behavior, good behavior when things are good? Yeah. Yeah. And bad behavior when things are bad? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of human nature, I guess you'd say. Yeah. But no, this behavioral finance topic is so interesting because I think that it's, it's just like so... There are so many decisions I think as advisors that we deal with that has that has to do with with the things we're going to talk about today, like the different topics. Uh, but it's huge, wouldn't you say, Taylor? I know this is something you're really interested in. Absolutely, and I look at what we do is like really. I think not everyone completely understands the importance of what we do and the value within what we do being um, three parts. And I know I've talked with you about this before I didn't, but yeah. basically, yes, we're managing assets and that's very important. Yeah. Yes, we're doing financial planning as needed. Each person is different with different goals. But the third aspect is managing emotions. And we don't always have to do that, but when we do, it's extremely important. Sure. Um, I feel like that's almost a lot of what you guys do in general with your clients is just managing you know, their emotions, their expectations. Um, yeah, and it's hard as humans to look for our own uh, blind spots or look yeah. in the mirror, so to speak. So yeah. it's good to have someone that um, is convicted in their philosophies, especially sure. as it relates to investing, yeah. to make sure that, um, you know, no big mistakes are. Yeah, yeah, are of had. course, of course. To be clear, 
the actual definition of behavioral finance is actually the study of the effects of psychology on investors and financial markets. So it focuses on explaining why investors often appear to lack self-control, act against their own best interest, and make decisions based on personal biases instead of facts. Uh, I, I actually received that from Kaplan Financial, but it, it that seems like a pretty good definition considering behavioral finance is basically just the reason why people make mistakes in the market. Mm-hmm. I would say that's a pretty good and, and, and pluses, but a lot of just like the psychology, like you were talking about before, you know, how much emotions play into our investing decisions. And so, you know, it, it might seem kind of obvious, but to be clear, that is the entire subject of behavioral finance is, is studying why people do what they do in the market. Um, yeah. And I don't think that as it relates to returns, cause you know, that's oftentimes what we get to talk about. We're managing money for retirement. Yeah. Um, I don't think, generally speaking, returns are always that difficult to mm. obtain, but the behavior is difficult. Mm. Yeah. So do you feel like that's more what you're training people to do as you kind of, as you take people in as clients? Do you think you're more explaining more of like the really gritty details of the market or more explaining an approach and an emotional you know, stance that you should have? What do you think you do more? I, I think it's more helping clients manage those emotions. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things I think about quite often is that we all know that we're supposed to buy low and sell high, right? Yeah. You hear that all the time. I mean, investing is easy. Buy low, sell high, right? And clients in, inherently know that. But what we don't often think about is the fact that when the markets are low, what's causing that, right? I mean, markets don't, it's not like everything's just great and everybody's happy and the outlook is wonderful and the market goes down, right? Typically when things are going down, like right now, you know, as we film this podcast, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. There's a lot of concern about inflation and interest rates and the war in Ukraine and everything else. And so if you were to remove the emotion from it totally, you would just look at the market and say, oh, the market's down. It's time to buy, right? Yeah. Like nobody would think about selling or being worried about anything because you would just know like buy low, sell high. Sure. Things are low, time to buy. But in reality, there's a lot of emotion going on right now because there's a lot of crazy things happening in the world yeah. that are playing to our emotions. There's a lot more to consider. Yeah. And same thing on the flip side when things are up. Like it's really hard to want to sell out of stocks when everything's great and everybody's happy and you're like, yeah, but the market's really high. It's, you know, not that, you know, and we're not trying to day trade, but in reality, we do a lot of things like rebalancing client portfolios, right? Mm -hmm. And so what one of the things we try to accomplish through, for example, um, a rebalancing strategy is it tries to remove the emotion, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you rebalance your portfolio consistently, as an example, you're automatically going to be buying things low and selling things at a high point and effectively removing the emotion. What does that actually mean, rebalancing a portfolio? I've never heard that term before. Yeah, so that's um, rebalancing is a strategy where let's say you have a target. Uh, so let's just, we'll just do this because the math is easy. So let's say that you have half of your portfolio in stocks and half of it in bonds. So you go out, you. Um, you invest in a portfolio that's half stocks and half bonds. Sure. Well, if you never rebalance, then 
over time, that level is going to change, right? Because mm. the half that you have in stocks is going to grow differently than the half you have in bonds. Yeah. So rebalancing is just the act of bringing that portfolio back to that 50-50 mark. Hmm. So let's say that you start off with $100,000. You put 50000 in bonds, 50000 in stocks. Um, well, let's say that over the next year, the stock part, the stock half of your portfolio yeah. goes up 10%. So it's 55. You know what I mean? You're just bringing those levels. Yeah, you're yeah. rebalancing back to that 50-50 yeah, yeah. mark. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, That's also an attempt to sell high and buy low over long periods of time. Yeah. And it, and removing the emotion and just, just doing that. And so what a lot of people will do with the rebalance, rebalancing strategy, they'll say, okay, we're going to do it every six months, every quarter, whatever, just regardless of what's going on in the market. Like sure. it doesn't matter what's happening. Every six months we're going to go in, we're going to rebalance that portfolio back to target and that's one way that you can completely remove the emotion from things is you just you're just doing it no matter what. That makes sense. As yeah. it relates to emotions, don't you think, Todd, that one of the most important things that we can talk to a client about and or do ourselves is keep the emotions out of what we do? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's what having an advisor is good for, because I think that, you know, with anything like it's hard to be your own doctor or hard to be your own advisor. I mean, it's um, it's tough when your own emotions are involved. So by hiring a professional, you can help to alleviate that. You yeah. can help to you know bring someone in who has kind of an outside opinion, who's helping you make decisions without all the same emotions at play. So, sure. And, you know, I don't want to say like, uh, you know, void you guys' position, but what if we were speaking to a person who, you know, chose to knock in an advisor? Let's say someone is trying to do this on their own. Yeah. What would be your best professional opinion on how to, you know, manage this relatively on your own? I mean, is it possible to sure. do this effectively? Yeah. 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 It's possible. I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, it's like building the house, right? I mean, you, yeah. you could do it on your own or you can hire a professional. I mean, I would say that... Um, you're, we're not, uh, the, what we just described about taking the emotion out of it and an advisor being someone that helps you do that. That's just one of the many reasons of course. No, to no, potentially no. Yeah, of hire course. an advisor. Sure. But yeah, absolutely. There's, there's plenty of people that, yeah. um, you know, are able to do it successfully without having an yeah. advisor, people that have the right knowledge, but I would say if somebody was doing that, they'd want to set things up, set up certain safeguards yeah. that would allow them to take the emotion out of things. Wouldn't you say, though, that kind of along the lines of what we were talking about earlier, that's easy to do on your own when things are good? Yeah. But when things are bad or down or turbulent, then all of a sudden I think maybe someone that's trying to do it themselves, you know, the questions come into yeah. play and that's when trouble could arise yeah yeah and that comes full circle right back around to what what's the name of the 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 behavioral finance the biases the bias the, yeah. yeah so that's what i wanted to move in next yeah. actually um there's a there's a concept called heuristics um 
And heuristics are simply just mental shortcuts that we can use when trying to interpret the market, uh, mistakenly or otherwise. Um, and these can lead to poor behavior when investing in the market. Uh, a common example of this is just an assumption that, you know, as we always say, past returns do not guarantee future results. But, you know, assuming that they do, like most, you know, like a lot of people do, that's the reason why we say it. Um, if something like that is an example of a mental heuristic that we might use when it comes to um, investing. So, um, it, you know, it, that kind of example, you know, it makes sense on the surface. That's kind of how we interpret things in life. You know, like we think that things in the future are probably going to happen because of what we look at in the past. Right. But um, with a lot of things, especially the market, that doesn't necessarily, right. you know, hold true. Right. Right. So I think exactly. there's other examples within our industry too. For instance, um, like the four percent rule. Yeah. Right. Where right. It, it, it's called the four percent rule, but it's not necessarily a rule. Right. Right. There's other things that go into that. And what I mean by the four percent rule is in the '90s, there's a study done that says if you're somewhere in your mid '60s, you should be able to withdraw four percent annually from your portfolio. And have that last you around 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. 65 to 95. But the reality is that depends on your age. Um, that depends on, um, you know, market conditions and things change. So we need to adapt to those changes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I can tell you that um, I recently had an experience with that buying a house. <laughs> so um, we were looking at uh, some houses... And the realtor that we were working with was talking about the fact that, like, was trying to talk us into buying a house because he was telling us, like, hey, look at the, the pattern of growth this home has had. So he had this chart that said, you know, the house was worth this three years ago, and look how much it's gone up every, each and every year over the last three years, and, and trying to basically say will infer that that meant that it was going to continue to go up yeah. at that pace. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, being a, having the training I did in, in this industry, um, I think that, you know, had I have not understood that bias, I might've looked at that and said, Oh yeah, well, if it's gone up 20% a year, the last three years, then it's certain to keep going up at 20%. But you know, but I the was market able changes to, at different rates and all it, kinds exactly. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And to me, I was like, well, I wish I wouldn't have known that because now I feel like I'm overpaying for this thing. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but huh. yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, is there any kind of experience with those heuristics? I mean, you actually gave an example before, but can you think of anything else when it comes to those mental biases, Taylor? I actually can't really. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, it's just, it's just good to know that. But I mean, I think, you know, one of the great things about, what we're doing on this podcast today is I think that just um, like naming these biases and understanding that they're at play is important for investors, right? So I think like whenever you're looking at a stock or even a portfolio and you're looking at these past returns like, oh, this portfolio has averaged X percent per year over the last, that doesn't mean that it will continue to do that. I think as investors, we need to like, and, and there's several more that we're going to go over on this podcast, yeah, but I think yeah. as, as you're listening to this podcast, just understand that it's important to identify these different biases 
And just make sure that when you're making investment decisions, you're paying attention to the fact that like a lot of these are their emotion, right? And and they're not things that we necessarily want to make decisions based on, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, yeah, like if you're looking at, you know, Microsoft stock and somebody were, were to talk to you and we, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but if somebody approached you and said, you know, like look at the past performance of Microsoft, look how well it's done. That certainly does not mean that it's going to continue to grow at that pace yeah, no, over the next, course, right? Now, there are other things you do want to look at. So it certainly doesn't mean it's a bad investment, but really what it means is just don't look at the percentage return numbers and and have that be your reasoning to yeah. invest in something. Yeah, Like look at the fundamentals and the other things that are involved or the you know, the trends, the the type of, th- I mean, those are all the things that as advisors we're trying to look at and trying to help people with is not just, oh, this investment has done that. So that means it's certain to do that in the future. No, yeah. we're looking at many other factors to try to figure out yeah. if things are going to be good moving forward. That actually so. comes pretty full circle back to this, this next bias that I want to talk about. Actually, I think you had something pretty good to say about this last time we talked um, is the framing bias. So this is the example of, Jumping on a certain, you know, financial opportunity, a stock, just because of the way it's presented to you. Yeah. So like you said, you know, it could be presented in a way that looks like it's going to rapidly grow in the next few years when that's really not the case. Right. Um, I know I know you had a good bit to talk about before. I, I wonder if you can remember that. But um, it's kind of like market. It's kind of like the way it was, it's marketed to you. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I think marketing a an investment to someone um, is kind of a bad way to go about it yeah, in I general. Mean, in, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of- but I know that that happens, right? Especially, um, you know, if, if you're doing it on your own and looking for ways to invest your money. Yeah. yeah. I don't really feel like we are put in that position all that often because we have the freedom to choose um, who and what we invest with and in. So I think that's uh, and you might have like wholesale. I guess that's like the best yeah. way you could explain it. But obviously, well, you guys have done no. your research. I, I have a great example of this. Oh. When I first started in my career, um, I was working for a brokerage firm, and I mean, talk about framing bias. So there was a company that I started to get r- random phone calls about. Okay, and I I'm not going to name the company because. I mean, I frankly just, I don't know if compliance allows yeah, us I to. Yeah, I doubt it. Yeah. So there is a company that, um, so they paid all sorts of famous celebrities, like sports stars. So there were guys like Shaq and Kobe Bryant and other famous celebrities, like sports celebrities wearing the hat for this company. Hmm. And it was supposed to be like a some type of supplement, okay? And they even had ads at Safeco Field. So they took out billboards at Safeco Field. For a stock? For a company. For a company. For a company. And the company was selling stock, but it wasn't, it wasn't listed on the market. It was private shares. So, you, so basically, they were trying to get people to invest in this company. And they, they framed it with all these famous people like taking this supplement. And the idea behind it was it's going to go public. So they got people to literally invest directly in the company, like privately. You fill out an application or whatever. You send in a check. I had people that were 
they were calling me asking about it. Well, I, I, I mean, it's not a publicly traded company, so I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know, but I was trying to advise them on why maybe that wouldn't be a great idea. But I actually, I didn't talk to this person individually, but actually heard stories of people in town taking out second mortgages because this thing was such a sure bet. Like, oh, Shaq uses it, Kobe uses it, right? Turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. Oh. Um, and they ended up, um, I mean, the guy, the guys ended up being, well, arrested, but all the money was spent. I mean, they found that these dudes were spending the money on yachts and all this other crazy stuff. They were literally just taking the investor's money and spending it. That's ridiculous. Um, wow. But like this bias, I mean, it was crazy to hear all these people calling me up out of the blue going, hey, I heard about this company. Have you heard about it? And like, well, no, not really. And they're yeah. like, well, here's what's going to happen. Like Shaq's using it, Kobe's using it. This thing's like a sure bet. And, um, you know, the shares are, you could buy them privately for whatever it was going to be. But when it, it's going to do an IPO and they're going to open up for trading and people, you're, you know, you're going to make 20, 30 times your money. And it's like based on what? You know, the fact that they bought some billboards at Safeco Field. Yeah. You know? Anyway, that they might have had saved up enough money to have a celebrity like do a little ad yeah, for it. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, That's very interesting. Yeah. When you talk about this, I automatically think about like high risk for some reason, right? Yeah. With, with when you say financial opportunities, That's, right? That always sounds pretty And framing bias. It's and what Todd just talked about, I think like, you know, typically a lot of these examples are probably high risk situations where someone's trying to get high returns. Yeah. Um yeah. and that's just not necessarily what we do. I know that. Right? Yeah. Um, which is a good thing for our clients. Cause we're a little more of the, the boring piece of the puzzle, long-term diversification, um, rather than seeking out these, these home runs, um, yeah. that Shaq tells us to. Yeah. But really that's like, that's Sha- the Shaq's goals. a basketball player today. He doesn't hit home runs. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I wanted to emphasize the emotional part. You know, we talked about that a little bit. Um, but, f- you know, from my limited experience, I've already seen that emotions have a huge play in, in finance, you know, as we've talked about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess it's I guess it's only really a general question. Like, yeah. we've already talked about it. But how does, you know, what is the best way to just combat leading emotions first when you're trying to buy stocks? Oh, hire a financial, you know, easy. No, I guess this is just a campaign for you guys' marketing. No, I mean, we, you know, this podcast, for those of you who have listened, it's very informational. And, and, you know, this, obviously the purpose of this episode is not why you should hire a financial advisor. But I will just say the reason it keeps coming up is because I really do think that this emotional piece does tend to be one of the most important reasons that somebody would hire a financial advisor. I mean, but again, just like anything, just like you would use a doctor or any, anything like that, because typically there are some parts of your world that if you try to do it on your own and money is just one of the most emotional things out there that we deal with, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Are we going to talk about anchoring bias? Let's talk. About That's it. my favorite one. I didn't actually come these. across that. Yeah. In yeah. fact, why it is it your favorite? I just think we deal with this so so often. So, so yeah. Um, let's go. 
refer to my little note sheet here. Yeah. Um, the actual definition for anchoring bias is allowing the first price presented to make up your whole opinion on a stock. Now, I got these definitions from KaplanFinancial.com. Yeah. I have to say that yeah. for the compliance part of it. Yeah, and you know, in that definition, you said stock, but I mean, really, this can be anything. Um, and, and so here's where this comes into play all the time. Okay. I, I, we have a lot of clients that will come in and they'll have a per- portfolio and, and that their portfolio needs to be adjusted, right? So maybe they have some portfolio, they have a stock or a mutual fund or whatever that just really isn't the right one for them. So we talk to them about making an adjustment, right? Well, oftentimes people will be anchored to the investments they have based on the price that they paid. What we mean by that is, let's say that they bought a stock. So we'll use a stock as an example. They they paid $100 a share for a stock, and let's say that that stock is now worth $80, right? And so they don't want to do anything with it. It's like, well, I can't do anything with this stock because it's down 20%, and they don't want to change it until it comes back. It's like, well... We can move that, but not till it goes back to what I paid for it, right? That could be a stock. That could be a house. It could be anything where they're like, they're anchored to this price they paid for it. They don't want to just cut their losses and move on. Exactly. They don't want to do that. When in reality, the way we should look at things, again, if you take the emotion out of it, is if you put $100 in a stock and that stock now goes down and it's only worth $80, right? And let's just say that you have one share. So let's just, you know... Talk about it this way. You put $100 in something, now that's worth 80 bucks. The only thing that matters is what is going to be best for the $80 that you have moving forward, right? It doesn't matter. Like, it, it, it might... So think of it this way. It's like, what, what's going to perform best moving forward, right, with your $80? Because in this day and age... It's so easy to like, I mean, you could sell a stock for free at most places now, right? So it's not like there's some big fee or transaction cost or whatever um, to, to move that money. It's just that clients are anchored to that price. So when in reality, your decision should be based purely on what is the absolute best thing for my $80 moving forward, right? It shouldn't matter. Now, again, one caveat, obviously... There could be taxes or there could be other issues at play, right? So, you know, I want to make sure that we point that out. And, you know, if we're talking about examples of biases, we're not talking about specific situations. Okay, so I don't want anyone to construe this as financial advice because, again, it really depends upon what. But but just understand that when you're making these decisions, and I say that for compliance, that's a disclaimer that I throw out there, but... In reality, we have heaps of disclosures. Yeah, this is a bias that I think, a, like a lot of people we deal with have, especially when because oftentimes we will work with with clients when things in their lives are in motion, right? They're changing jobs or they're thinking about retiring or whatever, right? So, oftentimes there's a shift, and far a lot of times we'll have clients come in. It's like. Well, if you own a bad investment, who cares what you paid for it? Like, 
sitting there and waiting for that investment to go back to what you paid for it might not be the best move. The best move might be to cut your losses. But at the end of the day, it's like if you put $100 in investment, it goes down to $80. That $80, it doesn't matter what you paid for it. It should be what is best for my $80 moving forward, right? And as we explain that on this podcast, everybody listening might be like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But again, just realize that this anchoring bias... It's a lot different when it's your personal, huh? Exactly. Yeah. When it's your personal money or some stock that you bought or you just you just don't want to cut your losses. You're like, no, I, I'm not selling that stock. I don't want to admit that I lost money or admit that it was a bad investment. I'm letting it come back. Or same thing, I bought some house and I'm not selling that house when it's down. It's like, well, again, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what's going to be the best performing moving forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good mindset to have in in terms of like maintaining wealth. Yeah. Um, That's what it seems. Yeah. Yeah. What's one of your favorite ways to explain um, market turbulence as it relates to behavior? I know that I talk a little bit about flying on a plane and turbulence. I talk about being on a roller coaster a classic example. the, the yeah. best way to get hurt on a roller coaster is to jump off yeah well i mean I, my favorite is like what you just said taylor but i mean i know in our office a lot of us will point to that airplane turbulence example um i think it's it's my favorite just because for me there's no better example of um I don't know what pilots call it. We're calling it behavioral finance, but I don't know if it's behavioral travel. <laughs> well, and you're, t- you're talking about two guys that uh, turbulence is not their favorite thing yeah, in an yeah. airplane. Yeah, these yeah. guys don't. I know. Yeah. Yeah. He does not like to fly. Um, no, I think that you is know such what? a you great know what? example. We have to tell the story, in yeah. fact, okay? Yeah. Speaking of motion sickness, this guy bought a brand new Tesla. And oh, then you want to talk, we got, this is a great example. This is a great example. Here, here we go. All right. So he bought a Tesla and every time he drove it, he started to get stomach aches. All right. Todd didn't like this very much. So, you know, this is maybe a failed example. Instead of writing it out and seeing if it would get better, he sold the car. He sold it. He gave up. He lost all his money. And <laughs> that was the end of that. And no longer is he driving around a cool car that's good for the environment. Well, there are several things wrong with what you just said, Aiden. And we I'm not saying uh, anything about him climate change. Because I I will so. say I will say this that because I am, you know, a a smart financial guy, mm-hmm. I actually got more in trade than I paid for my car. Huh. Because I, you know, with the prices of oil, Teslas became very valuable. And That's so right. I actually got more in trade than I paid for my car, even though, even though I drove it for six months. All right. I did try to let it get better. I drove it for six months. And lastly, I did buy another car that's good for the environment <laughs> because I got a plug-in hybrid that gets 40 miles on a charge. That is pretty good. Yeah. Don't you think so. what you just gave an example of is... Uh, uh, version of self-attribution bias yes i would say that (laughs) 
But I, I would, would undoubtedly say that. In fact, uh, no, I will it admit, I got completely it lucky. It seems as if lucky. Mr. Pasarczyk here How many is blaming times in himself <laughs> for the raised gas prices and the raised worth of Tesla. How many times in history could you buy a car and six months later sell it for more? Not even Not sell often. it. Literally get more in trade from the dealer. Yeah. But... Taylor, you, you, I was really excited to talk about the question that you posed about our favorite example, because I will say like the turbulence thing, as we're talking about travel and sickness, like it's such a great example for me because, because think of it this way. Like, so I, I've told this story before, but I have a friend that's a pilot for Alaska, one of my best friends. And we were about to go on a trip to Hawaii and like, here's how much I hate travel whenever you mean Taylor's going to Hawaii next week. And whenever I have a trip coming up, I literally start to get nervous like two weeks ahead of the trip about the flight, especially when I'm going to Hawaii and flying over the ocean the whole time. Right. And so I call my friend and I'm like, Hey, I need my, you know, my annual pep talk about how safe flying is. Right. And he said, Todd, I am so sick of having this conversation with you. You're literally more likely to die on the car ride to the airport than on the plane. And my answer to him was great. Now I'm worried about the airline and the ride to the airport. <laughs> but like more the story is don't be so worried well, about it. The everything. statistics tell us like if we look at the numbers the statistics are so clear that air travel is so safe, right? And for me to fly, like if I'm going to get in, if I, if I need to go to LA, we know that the statistics would say over and over and over and over that flying to LA is multiple times safer than driving there, right? But like I would way rather get in a car and drive to LA even though it's a really long drive because that's how much I hate flying because of the turbulence right and it's the same thing with investing is like we know that statistics would show us that over and over and over investing over the long term is very safe like in fact i diversified investing diver, exactly diversified investing in fact if you look at a you know the 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 odds of making money in the stock market in a in and it's just even in the S&P 500 i mean i, I again don't you know, I believe, and we can check these stats later. I don't have a, but but the the you, the odds of the S and P five hundred being down over a ten year period are extremely low. Like I want to say, the S and P has only been down two times ever over a ten year period. A- Aiden will fact check that and put it in the end of the podcast. I'll yeah, I'll go ahead and put it in the comments because um, we're in YouTube now. But it's very safe. But again, when you're when you have that portfolio and it's bouncing around up and down, like right now, you don't feel that way. Like the statistics on flying are so safe, but when you're in the plane and we're bouncing around and Taylor and I are freaking out, (laughs) it doesn't feel that way because the emotion takes over, right? Like when I'm in that plane and it's bouncing, you cannot tell me that we are not about to crash into the ocean. I mean, I am literally freaking out, you know, but the pilot is probably at the front looking back at me going, this guy's nuts, man. Like, what's he worried about, right? So sometimes I feel like to our clients, we're kind of like the pilot, you know? And I and I think about that sometimes because I've used this example so much where I'll be in an airplane now 
And I'll be sitting there like when we hit turbulence and I'll be really in a panic. And then I watch like the flight attendants, like the people that do this all the time. And they're just going about their business. No big deal. Right. And we're at where the passengers are kind of back there, like getting all agitated and nervous. And sometimes I feel like that's how we are. Yeah. You know, we're kind of like the pilot going, hey, look, this is normal. Like. We know how it works. We've been trained for this, been in simulators, whatever, like don't panic. But I understand how clients feel because it's their money, right? Like it's their hard-earned savings that they're watching go up and down. And 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 yeah, money's such an emotional thing like we talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the most. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, that's my favorite example that we deal with. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But if we didn't have that experience and knowledge you know, as, as I guess acting as kind of a pilot. Yeah. Um, that's not very beneficial for our clients. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> Things are going to heck. <laughs> you better sell. You better jump you out better of the plane. They never say Grab that. a parachute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, guys, we do have to kind of wrap it up because of time. Uh, we're going pretty long, but really, you um, got somewhere to be in. No, 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 no. I just like to keep these under 40 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, we're just, we're just, I feel like we've gotten quite a bit of good information. Yeah. Um, you know, is there any last thoughts you guys have? Anything else you want to explain? Taylor, you've been a little quiet. You got any last kind of reservations or something? I just think that um, while we're on the topic, I would mention that <laughs> for me, it's, it's one of the favorite parts about my job is getting to go into that coach counselor mode. When we are talking about, you know, times of turbulence and yeah. when, that, when that becomes important. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. I think that's a, a quality that as advisors we need to strive to have because it's extremely important for the livelihood and emotional livelihood of, of who we work with. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, guys. So we are, you know, as we talked about before, we're going to be on YouTube now. So I'd love for you guys to just, you know, if you have anything, you know, future topics you want to talk about, or I would love for you guys to share maybe one experience that you've had with emotions in finance that if that has proven you wrong, you know, if you are bold enough to say something, leave it in the comments. I'd love to read over that. Um, and you know, look forward to us on, on all platforms. As always, I got to do the little promotion spiel at the end. Uh, but uh, thank you guys so much for being on here. Uh, it's been it's been great. And uh, yeah. yeah, guys, we hope you have a great week, and we'll be back. We'll be back in a few days. Sounds good. I, I like the I like the three person podcast, Aiden. Yeah, it's more fun. Yeah, I like your new setup. I think this was definitely worth docking this your pay worth. for uh, an extra, you know, yep. mic here. Yeah, for sure. So my hard earned money is going to you guys. Well, it's gonna it's gonna only. make you more famous in the long run. I hope so. I think so it's a good I, investment. That is the number one goal. So yeah. 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 All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Have Thanks, Aiden. The commentary on this video reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of the Sustainable Wealth Management Incorporation employees providing such comments and should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Sustainable Wealth Management or performance returns of any investment client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Nothing on this video constitutes investment advice, performance data, or any recommendation that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. 
Any mention of a particular security and related performance data is not a recommendation to buy or sell that security. Sustainable Wealth Management Incorporation manages its clients' accounts using a variety of investment techniques and strategies, which are not necessarily discussed in the commentary. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Thank you.